Hello, and welcome to Ruta Cosmic Wisdom. I'm Amy. And I'm Alexis. We chat about astrology, archetypes, and spirituality, exploring how these and more can be woven into the day-to-day energy of life. So we'd like to invite you to settle into your body and join us. Hello, and welcome to Rooted Cosmic Wisdom. I am Amy. Hello, Alexis. How are you today? Hi. I am good. I am very excited for our conversation and yeah, excited for what we get to explore during this podcast. Wonderful. Today, we would like to welcome Alyssa Morin, who is a somatic sex educator and relationship and intimacy guide. Her work with individuals, couples, and groups traverses a wide range from practical, applicable, matter-of-fact sex education and problem-solving to sensual, inextricable, earth-shattering magic, yay, magic, (laughs) to clear self-knowing all through the body. She is also a writer, bridging poetry and prose plumbing the depths of her experience to find the universal connections between us all. Welcome, Alyssa. I'm so excited to have you. It's so good to be here. So tell us a little bit about your journey to, hi, I'm a somatic sex educator. (laughs) Well, the first thing I'll say is when I first learned about this particular line of work, somatic sex education and sexological body work, I believe the words out of my mouth were, I will never, I would never do that. Never want to do that. That's gross. Was, I mean, quite honestly, what, what I had to say. And a year later, I was training to be doing that. Um, But it was really, it really arose out of my own journey with sexuality. It was, you know, uh, Saturn returns happened. And I sort of, not sort of, went through the blender and emerged or in the process of that started getting really curious about intimacy, relationships, sexuality, um, because I hadn't been given anything helpful around that as a kid. I got, don't have sex until you're married. And that was kind of it. My parents had and continue to have a beautiful relationship. And there was a lot of romance, eros, which is horrifying to me as a 15-year-old. But as an adult now, I feel so grateful to them for just being not obnoxiously open, but I knew that they were having sex. And I'm so grateful now. Um, But... I just lost my train of thought in there. So yeah, late twenties, early thirties realized I didn't know anything and just blew the lid off of what I'd been doing, which was basically nothing. You know, I dated a handful of people had been really reserved and careful and quiet. And I was just like, I'm going to study Zen. I'm going to do this crazy orgasmic meditation practice. Let me take some psychedelics and do some ayahuasca. Let me like just anything anyone could throw at me. I was up for trying. And then it slowly led led into um, what I'm doing now. Excellent. (laughs) How that's a big shift from gross to yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And 
you know, I get the Saturn return. That is our like stepping yeah. into our adultness. Yeah. Um, for those that maybe don't understand a Saturn return, everybody has one. We all get one. Hopefully we all get three. And that first one is a big one. Um, was there a specific event that moved it from gross to yes? Um, it wasn't a, it wasn't one event. I was invited to be, um, in this group of women, uh, that we were then calling the women's temple. It's now the Verdant Collective, which is still an ongoing program, but, um, but we were doing hands-on work with one another. And so I got to have a slow introduction into it. And I mean, it's, it is, I feel like my reaction was sort of a normal reaction in our society yeah. because I, because the, that particular work is we're touching each other's bodies, including one another's genitals. It's one way touch with gloves. So there's some really clear containment around it, but it's really far outside of what our society invites us into in any way. Mm-hmm. And in some places it's actually illegal. It's mostly in a gray zone of legality. And so, so it was really just getting to be in the work and experience it and have the experience over and over again. And my clients speak to this, the people in the groups I lead speak to this all the time where they go into it and they're like, Oh my God, we're going to do what? Are you kidding me? And, you know, we slowly introduce it and it's not like we go from just having a conversation into like, okay, take your clothes off and get on the table. And here's what's going to happen. It's so much more trauma informed, nervous system informed, than that, but, um, but it, everyone comes away and says, maybe not everyone, but many people come away saying, why haven't I ever done this before? Everyone should be doing this. I feel like I've done this before. I've know I've done this in some past life. I want more. And that was really my experience too, as I was introduced and got to tiptoe in, then it became this really normal wonderful thing. And thinking back to when you started doing this work Mm -hmm. um, and working with others, what did that look like for you? Like, what were the pieces for you um, that were really coming up for that? If you can, um, like, if there was those loud moments of things to work through and things that would come up for you, especially in the beginning, just wondering Mm. what those may have been. Um. It wasn't that long ago and it feels like it was forever ago. So it's (laughs) my brain is like, where was that? Um, I mean, definitely just learning about my body, my anatomy, parts of it that no one had ever told me about. Um, That was revolutionary for me and continues to be when I introduce um, clients and things to it other people I think everyone should know it's on my website for free I'll send you the link like anatomy was huge Um, but the the part that was probably more like work um, in the in the kind of like it took some effort to really work with it was um I don't even know how to put words to it. Um, Expanding my capacity to be with intensity and with big 
energy in myself in a room with, you know, we would be doing practices. <laughs> we don't do it this way anymore. And it feels insane that we used to, but we'd have groups of three women in one room. There'd be like four groups of three and one woman is being touched in each group and, you know, all kinds of sounds, pleasure, orgasms, sobbing. It's just like this cacophony and this huge amount of energy happening in one space. And that was so hard for me to be with um, initially. Like I would just get completely blown out by it. And that's not true anymore, but that was a big piece that I had to work with. And also on a more granular level, um, learning how to ask for what I want and how to even know what it is that I wanted as far as touch and um, owning that was also part of the process. Mm, so good. Having been in classes with you, yes yeah. to all of this. <laughs> um, and I guess the, the first piece is the anatomy piece. Mm -hmm. I remember the first class I took with you, it must've been back in like 2017. Sounds right. And the anatomy you brought, mm -hmm. like as somebody who, you know, I have done anatomy and physiology in both rounds of college. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I have, it's always been a thing and you brought this whole brand new world mm -hmm. that we as humans haven't been taught about the bodies of like 50% of the global population. And it was like mind blowing, mm -hmm. mind blowing. Can mm -hmm. you, can you share with us some A and P stuff that was like, what? Nobody told me about this when you first learned. Sure. I mean, I think the big one is that female bodies have as much erectile tissue as male bodies, um, but it's all internal or yeah, it's all internal. Um, and so that's the big one, I think. Um, and, and going along with that, it's that the clitoris is so much bigger than the glands or the head of the clitoris, which is what we can see. There's a whole, it's like, it's quite literally the tip of the iceberg. There is a huge subterranean network of tissue that, that goes from the glands up a little bit towards the pubic bone. And then there's legs that go all the way down to the sit bones that are all erectile tissue and, um, have, can have a lot of sensation and a lot of experience. So, so those two things, it was just, wait, wait, what? wait, what's going on down there? Like, okay. Makes a lot of sense. It's helpful to know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, I don't know if you've ever seen, they like make necklaces now. Yes. Cause it's like, yes. the bone. and I feel like we've come so far in that I agree, like learning anatomy, like even when I learned it, um, was not in there, but it's like, there's, you know, and I don't think it's in, um, like traditional the way you learn traditional anatomy, but I think there is more coming out, even in the last just few years, yes. I've seen like, oh, like seen pictures and like seen, yeah. so it's like, you can put it in your mind of like, oh, but why has that not 
been a part of the normal conversation like for all this time um so yeah I was just taking that in yeah um the other piece I guess that's coming is so what does it look like to work with you now like what are the kind of ways um that it looks now yeah so one-on-one um there's such a big range of what it looks like um I often joke that I'm not a therapist, but I play one on TV. Um, I'm not a therapist. I have a lot of training that therapists have, and I've done trauma trainings and things like that because, um, because I get into that terrain with people so quickly because who doesn't have some kind of sexual trauma, um, whether it's collective, inherited, um, or very personal and in your timeline, I, I would argue pretty much all of us have some amount of sexual trauma, just living in this society. Um, we have that. And so, um, so I, I work sort of like a therapist sometimes where I'm just sitting and talking with clients. Um, but what's different is that I'm always looking for opportunities to do something more experiential so that we can learn about what's happening on a deeper level. Because our minds, if we're just talking about something, our minds can think that they know what's true. And we can concoct all kinds of stories and have all kinds of assumptions. And it's necessary for us to have that. It's really helpful. But if we can slow down and actually check in with what's happening in your body, when you hear me say a certain word, or what memories come to mind, or what happens when you move your body in this particular way, or, you know, what do you notice when I'm cupping your vulva and, you know, that contact is happening in a different way. So, so the, the, what's experiential, there's a big range on that. Um, and so that's, it's hard to give like, here's what it looks like because it so depends on the day and on the client and on what we're getting up to. Um, and then it's with groups, um, it's a little bit more structured because there's, you know, 12 people in the room and we can't go on 12 completely separate journeys. But really what we're doing there is um, coming together to, to share about what's living in us, what our experiences are, and then going and having experiential practices with one another, which can look like hands-on work, can look like witnessed self-pleasure, can look like communal self-pleasure. Um, I still, I have this one of me that's like, oh my God, am I talking about this? I do these <laughs> things. Like you do these things. Still, so there's part of me that it's still so weird to, and it's been about 10 years and I'm still just like, whoa, but you know, we have, we, we do those practices and then we come back together and talk about what happened for each of us and what, what those practices look like varies vastly from one woman in those programs to the next. There's no formula. It's very much like, here's a broad brush stroke. Here's some broad scaffolding of what self-pleasure can be and now you go and do what feels right to you and your nervous system so that's amazing that's a little bit yeah no I love this because it is so um 
it's 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 really edge dwelling in our mm. puritanical mm. um rooted society that, that this is what's going on and i also want to touch into and talk to the energy of what it is um to be the person in the group that's like oh this is a lot of energy what do i do with all of this mm. because our nervous systems often want to take us out of that mm-hmm. And so what would you like, how would you, having gone through it yourself, (laughs) Mm -hmm. what would you say to the people that are like, well, I just can't be in a group like that. And so therefore I don't belong Mm -hmm. Um, because that is one thing I have found with the thread of all of your work is this really deep sense of really anchored belonging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It all really comes back to that. Um, for me and with the women that I collaborate with, it's all about belonging, belonging to ourselves, to our own bodies, to the humans in our lives, and then also to the more than human world. Um, I mean, in the programs that I lead, we very much have this orientation that you get to take care of yourself. And so if there's big energy happening in the room and you're um, outside of your learning zone in your nervous system, where you're starting to be in fight, flight, freeze, shutdown of some kind, you can leave. And you're not leaving the group. You're taking care of yourself or you can step back. And I do this a lot. There's the running joke with one of my um, colleagues, collaborators, who's, I mean, we're like family, but um, she loves to do these group things where people are making sound and crawling on each other and they turn into animals and this whole thing and people love it and it sends my nervous system into I can hardly stay in the room and I will be like on the edge of the room watching everybody just taking it in and finding that edge of where how close can I be before it tips me out of my learning zone. And that, you know, our orientation and my orientation is that that's actually crucial. Like we, our ecosystem requires that I be the way that I am and be sensitive in the ways that I am and take care of myself. Because if I override it, that's gonna lead to all kinds of distortions in me and then in our larger ecosystem as well. And it's such a, It's taken me, I mean, 10 years of working with these women in some capacity to really understand that. And it's probably the most revolutionary part or the most radical part of what we're teaching, which is that you being you with your wounds, with your particular sensitivities and way of being in the world is actually what we need. You belong because of those things, not in spite of those things. And it's so, it can be so disorienting for so many of us. We think we have to be sort of cleaned and polished and able to participate in the right ways in order to be a part of the group, to belong. And what we're saying is actually totally the opposite. So, so, so the short answer is you have to learn how to actually listen to your nervous system, I would say. I'm always looking through the lens of the nervous system and actually honor it and find spaces that 
uh, encourage that from you. Beautiful. We don't do short answers here. So take all <laughs> <that> <laughs> I mean, I like to bring it down into what's the, what are the essential pieces there? And I can't usually do that until I've done the whole, yeah, yeah. do the whole thing. So, yeah, I love it. It's like that permission to be exactly where you, where you are mm-hmm. while also being in that space of like, mm-hmm. I'm learning from this, mm-hmm. you know, like it, there's a huge, yeah, I can feel, um, the beauty in that. Mm-hmm. And I guess that brings the next question I have is, you know, seeing that this is a process, seeing that there's to be able to experience the fullness of whatever we're feeling, we have to feel all of it. Right. But that word magic that came up mm-hmm. at the start, um, you know, I think holds a really beautiful power in, in why we, what we can unlock when we do this. Mm-hmm. And so if you could just speak into some of that of like, what, can be unlocked, Mm. you start to um, do this or connect to yourself in whatever way it is. But this is, you know, definitely, um, you know, a very potent doorway. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything, (laughs) (laughs) everything can be unlocked. It's funny because I think so many people think that unlocking Um, finding the magic in their sexuality is going to look like hanging by your toes from the rafters, shrieking orgasms kind of experiences. And sometimes it is, but, um, but so often, I mean, my personal experience and what I see in the groups and with clients and colleagues is that the, what actually happens is that the range gets much bigger where you start to find pleasure and like deep, nourishing, satisfying pleasure in these really small, slow moments. And so there's more available all the time, which is phenomenal. I mean, pleasure is available 24 seven, I feel like. Um, and, 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 um, had 10 thoughts collide there. Um, And so that happens, which just makes us more available to different kinds of sensation and pleasure that we maybe wouldn't have even known existed or would have considered before. Um, And so there's more opportunity for nourishment and satisfaction. And sometimes that looks like hair standing on end, hanging from the rafters. Um, and sometimes it's, it's so slow and quiet that no one would even know from the outside that something was going on, but something incredibly magnificent is going on just as you sip your tea. And so, so that's one answer. Um, I think another thing is, um, we become less um, hospitable. We become less hospitable to outside expectations and stories about us. And we start to really be living from the inside out, which can be so beautiful and so painful all at the same time because it sometimes requires that we um, leave relationships, jobs, 
communities that we thought were really serving us. But when we start to connect more with ourselves and really listen, uh, we find that that's not true. Doesn't always happen, of course. Sometimes we find, oh, I'm so gloriously exactly where I'm supposed to be. And how wonderful is that? Um, but that's a piece that happens as well. And um, I think the last thing I'll say, we'll see what happens after I say it, is um, there's this connection to the, uh, I can't remember whose word this, whose language this is. Um, doesn't matter, but to the more than human world, which is everything, which is everything. I mean, it's the plants, the animals, the earth, the spirits, the ancestors, the cosmos. Uh, we start to find more of our belonging there as we um, open up this part of ourselves. There's other ways to do that as well, but there's something about connecting in and um, unlocking and unlayering our eros, which is not just sexual energy. It's so much bigger than that, but connecting in there that can really seat us in our belonging with the much larger capital T, capital W, the world. Love it. I also like was really, you just have some phrases that you've said over the years that just get lodged in my system. (laughs) Oh, goodness. It's a, it's, they're all good yeah, things. I'm so glad it's good things. It's, it's all good <laughs> things. Like I have nothing but really great associations with you hmm. as, as a teacher and as a human being, this idea of we become less hospitable hmm. to that, which doesn't serve us. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I love that, that turn of phrase that we become like, we become more of ourselves the less hospitable we become to that, which doesn't serve us, the more we actually belong to ourselves mm-hmm. rather than other things. Um, mm-hmm. So another, it's just another Alyssa phrase that has hooked into me now. I Love have it. to give my colleague, Christiane Pelmas credit for that one. Cause that okay. is straight from her mouth. So I'm happy to be passing it along. Okay. And I, I, I will credit I will t- Christiane. I will take the hook. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, so you, you spoke into moving into this wider space of sensation and nourishment and, and living is what it is for me. Like the, the wider our spaces, what kind of practices or, or guidance would you offer up as a way to to push those edges into that wider space mm-hmm. to allow us, uh, allow our listeners, invite our listeners to take up this space of sensation and pleasure mm-hmm. and growth and living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we, I'll point you to a free offering that we have, and then I'll share a few specifics, but there's a program that we did called 13 days of erotic wellness that, um, that has 13 practices to do exactly, exactly this. But the, a main one that I rely on is, um, is a self-pleasure practice. And in my definition of self-pleasure you know we we it's so helpful to talk about self-pleasure instead of masturbation for many reasons 
um, the number one being the root of the word to masturbate means to, to harm or defile with your hand, which isn't what I'm doing when I'm self-pleasuring. <laughs> I think there are certainly instances when that is what's going on, but that's not what I'm doing. And, and so changing language to self-pleasure can be really helpful there, but also broadening out what self-pleasure looks like is so important because for most of us, it's really habituated, almost like brushing our teeth. We touch ourselves in the same way every time. We find our way to pleasure and orgasm the same way every time. And um, we don't think too much about it. We're not really connected to it. It's just more of a means to an end. And self-pleasure as I'm talking about it can include all of that. It can include touching your genitals, having multiple orgasms, using toys, all of that can be wonderful, but it also includes the entire rest of your body. And sometimes self-pleasure can look like lying down and simply breathing into different areas of your body. I've actually started calling it self-sensation practice lately, because when we think about pleasure, we get so focused in on, I have to find what feels good. And not only what feels good, it has to feel the best. And that can be such a trap. And so broadening it out to, to simply be noticing what is the sensation of my fingers on my hand and really getting present with that and noticing how much is actually available there. Um, that can start to like, just elbow us a little bit more room to, um, be with ourselves in different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I'll pause there. Oh, you can keep going. Well, I, I had a, I, The, the other piece with that, one of my favorite self-pleasure practices is exploring our bodies as a wild landscape. And so, you know, when we out, when for many of us, true for everybody, but going out, I live in Boulder, so I can see the foothills from here, but going out to the foothills and I have such a relationship with these foothills where there's, you know, the grass changes and there's trees and the temperature shifts when I go change elevations. And it's so, it's so miraculous. Every time I go, it's a different experience. And I'm just exploring that landscape, bringing that kind of attention to your own body can open up all kinds of possibilities where you're looking through this filter of your own body as miraculous as that landscape out the window. It's right here as well. And so so that can really pop open the possibilities there too. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> have you found that any of your personal practices have shifted, changed, or evolved? Like, especially in the last, like, say, month or few weeks? Because, you know, I've, I just, um, wondering as things change and evolve, you know, in the external, in the world, if you found any um, of your daily practices shifting or changing for you. Not hugely. I'm so, <laughs> I have this, I'm feeling sheepish. I'm so bad at regular practices. The only thing that's a regular practice for me is 
getting up and having tea and reading and writing in the mornings. That's the one thing that pretty much every day, like six, five, six days a week, that always happens. And that stays really consistent. Um, I'm just checking. I mean, I do notice, um, I have a partner and um, when like the world is going, you know, doing all of the things that it does, um, I will find myself bringing more of my energy to her in a, regardless of what it is, you know, if I'm feeling grief, if I'm feeling fear, if I'm feeling excitement about what's happening in the world, um, at this point, you know, historically I'd probably bring that into a self-pleasure practice and maybe make more of a self-pleasure ceremony to hold what's happening. But at this current moment in my life, I find myself more bringing it to her to be explored and moved in a more shared container. It's sort of the same thing, but partnered rather than solo. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a beautiful, I think, yeah, I can feel for myself, like the call for us to be more connected. And I think mm -hmm. that is, you know, kind of re reflecting that from what you've said too, of, um, yeah, that we need our space. We need our own space. And mm -hmm. I've just been feeling for myself as well. Um, the call to connect mm -hmm. and to have that be, um, part of it for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Yeah. And to, to really, um, not, this is part of the not being hospitable piece for me is that maintaining connection with my erotic energy, which happens through writing, through walking my dog, through lifting weights, through <laughs> having sex with my partner, through making meals. There's so many ways that it happens, but that feels like such an essential part of being inhospitable where I am, I am weaving this thread constantly so that no matter what happens externally, I still have this connection with, um, with arrows that then fuels everything and makes me available to what needs to happen in any given moment, whether I'm sitting with a client or, um, anticipating what's happening in the world. I think that's so spot on that the more we are in our own arrows and the more we bring that into our relationships in, you know, manners that are met, mm -hmm. the, the stronger our thread is to be able to witness what's going on and to feel what's going on in a, in, in a way that is best for our individual systems. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a whole list of things. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Let's hear them. Um, the first thing um, that I'm going to, I'll circle back to this one, but tell us more about self-pleasure ceremonies. Mm. Um, well, for me, I, through the guidance of a mentor, started really orienting to self-pleasure as prayer. 
many years ago and prayer is hard for me. My dad was a pastor. I actually, my probably strongest trauma is around prayer, um, which is, feels like such a funny thing to say out loud, but it's totally true. Tell me I have to pray and I will just like shoot out of my, out of the room basically. Oh yeah. I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. Yeah. Like see you later. Piss off. Um, <laughs> Peace out bitches. So, so orienting to self-pleasure as prayer, um, because I'm connecting in with Eros, which is life force energy, which is what animates everything in the universe, in my cosmology. Um, it's that in and of itself is, is a version of prayer for me or a form of prayer for me. Um, so there's that sort of loose, I'm holding that loosely every time I go into that. And even when I'm making love with my partner, it feels the same way. Um, and, but, but ceremonies, so our, our generating our erotic energy, our arousal, our life force, um, is it's hugely potent energy. And so you can use it for whatever you want to use it for. Most of the time we're, we're not aware of that because we have so much shame and shutdown around our sex and our pleasure and our bodies that that never even becomes a part of the conversation. But, you know, a simple self-pleasure ceremony can look like setting a container for yourself, which can be so simple um, from lighting a candle to saying some kind of prayer, crossing a threshold. There's so many ways to start that, to set a container and then to be holding an intention that you are moving your erotic energy towards your pleasure towards sometimes a really powerful way to do that is to, um, to be speaking the intention out loud as you are self-pleasuring and in different volumes, different paces, different moments. Um, it, that really has the feeling of becoming a prayer and just launching this intention out to, um, out to the universe. So that it's being held by something bigger than you. Um, and so that's one, one example of what that can look like. It, it, I mean, sex magic, that's basic sex magic, um, self-pleasure ceremony, sex magic. It's all really just generating that energy and directing it somewhere. Yeah. Sex magic 101. Yeah. And it can be so (laughs) helpful in getting us moving through the shame that some of us have, many of us have around it is holding holding the possibility that generating this energy could be beneficial in some way, in a larger sense, can start to um, unwind the shame simply by giving us a different framework to orient to that's so much more well. Yeah, Yeah, and just the power in that, like when we can really feel that and move towards that. yeah, there's huge power in that. And I think when you said the speaking it out loud, that's like this other 
layer. Like I find, you know, when you say things in your mind versus when you speak them out loud, there's a different power that that holds. So that, thank you for sharing that. Super powerful. Absolutely. And just one follow follow up piece on that, the brain chemistry of orgasm, pleasure, even just arousal, it doesn't even have to get to orgasm is one of the most easily available endogenous, meaning you don't have to take anything to get there, um, altered states that we can Mm -hmm. access. And that um, can be so nourishing for our whole systems and for our whole, the whole ecosystem that we're a part of. Yeah, to just be in in arousal, like Mm -hmm. to just be with it rather than to move through it Mm -hmm. to the other side. Mm like the nourishment of being present with it. Mm-hmm. Love it. And the other ways of thinking that are available there mm-hmm. because our executive functioning, our front brain is less active and other parts of our brain are more getting more blood flow and lighting up more. And so we can actually be, I mean, for me, it's a way of, I've had visions when I'm in that state of arousal or orgasm and that happens for more people than like I talk to more people who are like I had this orgasm and this whole thing happened afterwards and happens more often than you'd think and um and that it can be a really interesting way to connect with what's larger than us and also to um ask questions like a little mini vision quest even of you know what holding a question and then seeing what comes in that altered state so good it's so fun to talk about I sort of forget about all of this until I'm talking about it which is funny (laughs) it is it is fun to talk about it and it is a really accessible practice Mm. Um, and I think it's also so healthy because a lot of people don't even know what arousal is Mm. Like just from a standpoint of there's such a move, we're, we're energetically such a move through it society Mm -hmm. that we've forgotten that arousal, arousal can be a sustainable place to hang out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like you can just hang out in it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) roll around in it Mm -hmm. and, and be there. Mm -hmm. I love that you're bringing that in. Yes. One of my teachers says the arousal is the event Mm -hmm. and what you do with it is another event, but just holding the arousal as its own thing can be really radical Mm -hmm. and fun and fun (laughs) and fun. (laughs) Yeah. I find like, it's almost like every time is different and there's like an unlocking when you allow yourself to like you said you kind of connect into this greater you know greater mind greater something Mm -hmm. and it's like something gets unlocked that couldn't have possibly been except for in that moment that energy Mm -hmm. and it's just this like ever expanding um really like exciting quest like you know like and you can be in all the time. The other piece too is like, I found when you unlock it, it's almost like you can be outside just on a walk and like you can kind of tap into that. Yeah. Um, like that muscle memory kind of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you have, you build neural pathways to it, which then are available 
when you're on a walk and then something happens, who knows what it is, a smell, a sensation, a memory, and those pathways are firing and it's just right there. Thank God. It's so amazing what our bodies are capable of. (laughs) It just blows my mind. So, so good. Um, Which is going to lead me into this next piece. Uh So I have an 11 year old child. Okay. (laughs) And and I can't believe he's 11. I know. Right. He's, he's 11 and they, they did the, they did the puberty talk last Mm -hmm. year in fourth grade. which of course sent all variety of Midwestern parents into a tizzy because, you know, I actually had one mom say to me, like, they're stealing our children's innocence to which I got, I'm like, let's get really curious as to how going into an owner's manual of this magnificent creation we get to be stewards of Mm -hmm. is stealing innocence Mm -hmm. as a somatic sex educator as somebody who I know was raised here in the midwest (laughs) (laughs) like with what I know what would you say or recommend or guide parents to you know, and of course, inviting all parents to move from an age appropriate standpoint, how do we help clear and heal our collective wounds mm-hmm. around body acceptance, pleasure acceptance, and healthy sexuality, mm-hmm. and healthy expressions of that? And that may be a really big question, and a topic for a whole other podcast. But we'll just, you know, yeah. I mean, we can right here. see what comes out of my mouth. I feel so, I'm not a parent. Um, and so I feel very underqualified in so many mm-hmm. ways and I work with adults. But mm-hmm. the, so one thing I'll say is that doing your own work around sexuality as a parent is hugely important because so much of what we learn gets communicated um, in on a nervous system level, it's communicated through example. Like I spoke to earlier, my parents, um, you know, they said, don't ever have, don't have sex until you're married, but then they were so hot for each other. And I I should be careful how I say that because they were so, it was not inappropriate. It was not like, oh my God, but it was just, they were so sweet with one another. And that had, had a, bigger impact in some ways than them saying, don't have sex until you're married because they were modeling something really important. And, um, and so getting cleared up in yourself around your own sexuality, that's job number one, I would Mm say. Um, and you know, the kids, I used to work with kids. I used to coach gymnastics and, um, the young women, they're all, they're all God, they're all out of college now, these women that I coached, which makes me feel really old, but, um, you're still younger than I am. I know. <laughs> I'm the oldest I've ever been. So, um, but the, the ones that have the, they, they all talk to me about sex. They did when they were, when I was coaching them. Cause I spent probably 10, 15 hours a week with these kids and they would talk to me about sex. They would ask me questions about it. I was 
had to be careful about what I, how I responded, but I knew their parents and had known most of their parents for the better part of a decade. So I had a lot of free reign, but um, the ones that had the most, had and continue to have the most satisfying, empowered, healthy, we could say relationships with their sexuality are the ones whose parents talked to them about it ongoingly. And so it feels in that way, it feels really pretty simple where you just start talking about it when they're young, because if you don't start young, they're going to be seeing porn most likely by the time they're eight, nine, 10 years old. If you start talking to them at 11, it's, it's, the cow is out of the goddamn barn. Yeah, the cow is out of the goddamn <laughs> barn and has been for a while. <laughs> and so having conversations with them, asking them questions, finding people. I mean, there's resources online. I can't remember any of them right now to help parents talk with their kids about sex, but it's not a one-time conversation. You have to have multiple conversations with them um, and like granular conversations you know, you can't just say, here's condoms. This, you have to show kids what to do with them because we don't know what to do with condoms until we are trying to figure it out. And they're not necessarily the most intuitive. intuitive. <laughs> it's like you're in a whole state. So, you know, you, you get to have those potentially uncomfortable, awkward conversations with your kids and they're not going to want to have them, but you keep talking to them about it anyway. And um, yeah, it's really quite beautiful what I've gotten to see happen with these now young women who um, are so empowered and own their sexuality in a way that I don't see my peers and colleagues and clients. We didn't have a chance to do that because people weren't talking to us about it. So talk mm -hmm. to them, talk to them, yeah. talk to them and talk about pleasure. Oh my God, talk about pleasure because that is usually grossly missing from school sex ed. So <laughs> I just, I remember, I'll, I'll tell this story. It was one of, it was a moment where I had to call a kid's mom when I was coaching because I, a thing came out of my mouth before I could stop it. But she was maybe 11, maybe 12. And she just had sex ed and she was telling me about sex ed and about what sex was and how it worked. And, and, uh, and then she goes, I'm never, I'm only going to have sex a couple of times because I want to have babies. But other than that, I'm never, I don't even understand why anyone would ever have sex. It doesn't make any sense. And I just looked at her and I go, it feels really good. And her mind, like her face was just like, what? No one had ever mentioned that. She had no reference point for that. And it was just like, she I think she sat there for probably a full minute, just speechless. And then I said, I'm going to go call your mom. <laughs> and her mom was totally fine with it, but it was just a, it was a really just eye-opening for me. Like, right. We don't, no one tells us this, that it feels good. So. Yeah. And do you feel like these young women, cause we have, we have a collective story mm -hmm. that if we talk to our children about sex, they're going to go do it. And if they find out that there's pleasure involved and it feels good, they're going to go do it and move mm -hmm. towards it. Mm -hmm. And, and it's something that with my child being the age he's at and with parents now suddenly being like, what do we do? 
like I have had ongoing conversations with him since the moment he was like five and was mm-hmm. like, where do babies come from? Totally. <laughs> like I've just gone. Yep. I've yep. like, here is, here it is. We're not going to be shy about this. Cause I do believe you're so spot on mm-hmm. with creating a lifelong container mm-hmm. that this is acceptable and welcome. And you can ask me questions mm-hmm. and We also, there is a cultural narrative as a parent, I'm standing in it and watching it, that if we talk to our children openly about sex and that it is fun and pleasurable Mm -hmm. and expansive and all of these things that, you know, you are bringing into the world as an educator that, oh, our children are just going to run to it. And then we're going to end up, you know, grandparents at a very early age. I mean, I think if you, from what I, this is vague in my mind but I'm pretty sure I read somewhere once that regardless of education and information kids pretty much start having sex when they're like between 16 and 19 years old so it's going to happen no matter what so Mm -hmm. there's that piece pretty sure I've read if you look at studies done in the Netherlands where they have beautiful sex education that starts from I think kindergarten there's it's layered into curriculum ongoingly. Um, kids wait longer to have sex and they're resourced around it. So there's mm-hmm. less rates of teen pregnancy rates are really low. STI rates are really low. And um, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen statistics around this, but it would make sense to me that um, rates of violence around sex in teenagers is also really much lower than it is here. Mm-hmm. And so so I think it's a, it's bullshit. <laughs> That's what I think. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure studies prove it. And, um, and God, I mean, the kids, all, there's three young women in particular who have come to me in moments when they're, they could go to their parents, but their parents also have trusted them, trusted me with them. And so they're resourced. And so when something's going on, that's confusing or when they've had an experience that they're like, that didn't feel good. Was I violated in some way? Like what happened in that? They have places where they can go to get help and support. And so then it doesn't spiral down into a whole shit show of something. They can Mm -hmm. work with it in, in the moment as it's happening. And so, um, so that the, what I see with kids who have information and get to have conversations around sex is it's only been a positive outcome. So, and it's hard. I have a, I have a nephew, I have two nephews and a niece and my oldest nephew just turned 12. And I'm like, it's, it's interesting having conversations with him about this stuff. It's uncomfortable. And I do this all the time. So I can't even imagine what it's like um, for parents. So I have a lot of care and compassion at the same time. Like this is fucking hard. I can say all kinds of things, but actually doing it is a whole other thing. So. Well, and yeah, you're right. It's, it's the, how much work have we done as individuals and can we set up a lifelong container? Mm -hmm. This one and done is inadequate. (laughs) No. Yeah. It's heartbreaking, actually. I mean, I Mm -hmm. sit with so many people every day who 
have so much grief around how alone they felt in experiences around sex when they were young. There's just no one there. And they're now 45 years old and it's still eating away at them. And so have the awkward, uncomfortable conversations with your kids so that they're not 30 years later sitting with me having that conversation. That's my, that's like, please. (laughs) Yeah. I'm laughing now, but it's really like, there's, it's so, there's so much heartbreak in it for Mm -hmm. me and for, for everyone. So. Yeah. And I can laugh about it too. Mm -hmm. And I have sat in, in groups and classes Mm -hmm. with you enough Mm -hmm. to have worked through Mm -hmm. and, and I have an awareness of my own stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and a part of it was in preparation for recognizing I'm raising a human being who is going to at some point want to be sexual with himself and another human being. Mm-hmm. And I want that to be a much more positive experience than it, it could be if I was bringing my mess into it. Yes. Yeah, yeah and I think that piece of knowing that bringing yourself pleasure is okay first. Cause I feel like when you're connected into that mm-hmm. and you're connected into what that is and the empowerment of that, um, yes, there will eventually be another person, but I feel like that's another piece that like was never talked about. Um, you know, for me at least, but like we discover that we figure that out very young And I feel like that's a piece too, of like making that okay. Mm -hmm. Like having that conversation of like connecting to yourself first. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like is, you know, it's going to happen when they're very young. So you Mm -hmm. might as well open the door for that. And then, yeah, like you said, I feel like there can't, when there comes that time when there is another person, like that's going to happen eventually, like for every parent, like it's going to happen eventually. And like you said, I just feel like when there's more information, more resources, more acceptance around it that will happen in a more easeful way, most likely. Yes. yes, yeah, most likely. And if it doesn't, then there's support for whatever does happen. Okay. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure I read somewhere once that kids who self-pleasure um, wait longer to have sex. So they're figuring themselves out. Yeah, they're, they're doing something really healthy and really normal you know, and it's, it's something I have definitely said to my child, like, if you have questions, if you have confusions, if you hear something and you're like, I don't know what that means, your buddies and your friends and your peers may tell you, please come check in with me so we can clear up any confusion, Mm -hmm. any misunderstandings. You know, we went through a car ride recently where he was asking me about slang. And if Mm -hmm. I could just tell him what the slang was. So he wasn't going to say it. And it finally came out that he was asking me about the word pussy Mm -hmm. and you know, well, why does this get used this way? And so we had a whole big, long conversation Mm -hmm. that ended up with him sitting in the back car at back of the car. And finally, which is the way he likes to do these conversations. He's like, so, so so male safer. Yeah. (laughs) Already 11 (laughs) when he can sit in the back seat and know that I'm focused on other things. (laughs) Um, His conclusion, he, he reached this conclusion and he said, you know, mom, 
I think that males just misuse the word pussy as a sign of weakness because they're jealous and they want one. (laughs) I love it. But he has a safe container that I have set up his whole life where he can come and I continue to issue invitations Mm-hmm. And he is in this discovery period that as a parent is both delightful to watch. And I know it pushes my edges because I can feel myself be like, ah, I'm not equipped to deal with this. <laughs> These aren't conversations I planned on having. Mm-hmm. And that resourcing piece. Mm-hmm like always offering our children resources Mm -hmm. and people they can touch in with Mm -hmm. that we trust and, you know, go, go and ask questions, like, please ask questions of adults Mm -hmm. and bring the answers back to me. So I can Mm -hmm. run through my filter Mm -hmm. Um, is so important. Mm -hmm. So, so important. Mm -hmm. Alexis, do you have anything? (laughs) <laughs> no, I was curious what you're, I was like, yeah, if Amy I got a list. <laughs> I'm curious too, what is on, on my list. Um, you also spoke about Alyssa, your writing practice hmm. and in your bio, you talked about being a poet. Tell us more. Yeah. So it's, um, I've, I, it's so funny. I'm like stumbling over my words. Um, and you're brilliant with your words. Thank you. Writing that feels really true, but I'm just in the last year and a half or so really, I, I had a, I did a psilocybin journey with a dear friend and it was one of those just, I felt not rearranged, but like I had a, a, much deeper understanding of myself and my history, like cosmic history and why I'm here and all of these kinds of things. And one thing that came out of that was that, um, I've, I've, I love writing. That's been true since I was a little girl. I remember sitting in the back of the car on some road trip, just dying for a notebook and a pen. I'm probably five in this memory, if that, and it's like, I, just trying to convince my dad to stop at the gas station to get me paper and a pen. And, um, so it's, there's been this burning thing in me for as long as I can remember. And it's been so helpful. Like I can write my website, I can write emails, I can, um, do all kinds of things. And it's been this, how wonderful that my writing gets to be in support of all these other things that I do. And with that psilocybin journey, the message that came really clear was, no, no, that's backwards. You're a writer first and foremost, and everything else has to be in support of the writing. So I've had this reorganization happening in my, how I orient to my work and what I'm getting up to that has me really focusing on writing in a way that I haven't in the past. And so um, what was your question? Tell, tell us about writing. <laughs> Just tell us more about, about, about your writing and your journey. What, what has it been like mm. to follow this? Because it does take a tremendous amount of being in our own center mm-hmm. to follow these things. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is that for me, um, this, like so many things, like doing the work around somatic sex education and all of that, there's not, it doesn't feel like work. It feels like work to not be doing it. So mm. if I'm, if I'm avoiding it, if I'm disregarding it, then that starts to take more of a toll than if I just relax into it and allow it to be. And so, so I write a lot. I'm working on a project that is, <laughs> I'm like hesitate. I have to be so careful how I talk about it for myself, because if I start to be like, I'm writing a book and here's what it's about and all of these things, then my psychic immune system is like, no, that's not happening. It's too big and scary. You can't ever possibly do that. And so, so I'm working on a project that is, you know, loosely defined, but it's very much comes from the same place as Eros, as self-pleasure, as making love. It's, I mean, when I write, it's, you know, making love with the pen and paper or um, with whatever is moving through me. And so it feels very much like an expression of, of um, the same thing that we've been talking about this whole time. And um, it's so fun. I mean, I love putting words on a page. It's it, fun is so the wrong word. Um, it's not like amusement park fun. It's like um, uh, really deep, earth-shaking orgasm kind of fun, um, something like that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I write things. It's sort of bridging poetry and prose and memoir and who knows what else will come out. But um, that you can find on social media because I'll publish things rarely, um, but on social media and uh, more to come with all of that. More yeah. to come with all More of that. More to come. We're very excited. Uh, well, I'm very excited. <laughs> Me too. It's so fun to see. Just giving myself a little bit of space. I hired a writing coach, um, creating a container for stuff to start moving out and getting reflection. It's the simplest thing. You know, it's, it's why I see a therapist. It's why people come to see me is just having a container for something to unfold and just a little bit of reflection and guidance can go a long way. And so as I've brought that in, there's, it's like whatever has been here that I've known is there here in me, that's just waiting is now just coming out kind of like a fire hose. And I feel like I'm barely keeping up with it most days. So yeah. Yeah. Like people who say, I don't know, like, I don't have, ever have anything to write about. What would I ever write? I'm like, what is that like? Cause I can't keep up with the content that like, there's no way I could ever possibly write everything that occurs to me. And it's heartbreaking that I couldn't. And it's such a, I don't know, wonderful problem to have simultaneously. And do you still use a notebook and pencil? Not a pencil. I use a very particular <laughs> kind of pen, the Pilot Precise V5. It's the best pen ever. Um, highly recommend it. Um, but primarily, yeah, I write. I mean, I, I'll start things on paper. Mm -hmm. but I write every day on, I have just piles of notebooks that I are my source, source material. And then it mm -hmm. sometimes makes its way onto the computer. Most of it is crap that 
will hopefully be burned before I die so no one <laughs> reads it. <laughs> no, that that's when you that's when the big bucks are gonna start rolling in because it's every it's all your source material. It's mostly, yeah. I mean, it's stream of consciousness writing, which is sometimes really fun to read and other times really painful. So mm-hmm. absolutely. <laughs> I'm excited for your yes. project. <laughs> yes, yes. We'll see what comes of it. Mm-hmm. Do you have more questions, Amy? That that completes my list. Okay. <laughs> that I currently have. That doesn't mean I'm not going to have more. <laughs> That's that just completes my current, my present list. Well, is there anything else that you are feeling to share or anything just in the moment that just kind of wants to get out? Um, (laughs) like little thoughts coming in and where are they going to go? Um, you know, another practice that occurred to me that can be really helpful. And it's, I love simple practices. I'm a huge fan of, I think it comes from being a gymnastics coach. It's like, let's break this down into something really small and easy that you can do, um, that can build into other things. But, um, Amy, you're probably familiar with this. Cause I think I do it with everybody. Um, but it's, called some people call it pelvic floor breathing other people call it genital breathing and um it's not breathing through your genitals because that's not possible (laughs) that's not how it works (laughs) but it's really just um expanding your pelvic floor on the inhale the same way your diaphragm expands and your chest expands as you inhale and exhale And bringing that, I can send you, I don't know if this is helpful. I can send you an audio um, guide of that practice, but bringing your breath down there because movement can actually happen. Most of us have hypertonic pelvic floors. We've learned just through navigating the world or through yoga classes, Pilates, gymnastics to suck it all in super tight. And then Um, it can't actually relax, which can lead to so many problems. It's actually weaker when your pelvic floor is like that. It can lead to um, UTIs and bladder control issues. It can make childbirth a lot harder because you're much more likely to tear when your floor is hypertonic and your pelvic floor is hypertonic. And it allows for less pleasure most of the time and less access to our genitals, to our arousal. And so bringing your breath down and it can take concentration and a lot of practice. I think it took me about three to six months to actually be able to feel movement happening in my pelvic floor. Um, and it changed, like it got rid of back pain that I had. Cause I had one of those hypertonic pelvic floors from yoga, Pilates, gymnastics. Um, but it, totally changed my experience of my lower back and my experience of pleasure. Just, it grew exponentially because there was more space for pleasure to flow and for blood to flow into my genitals. Um, but it's really quite simple where you're simply breathing 
and expanding your pelvic floor on the inhale and then relaxing on the exhale. You're not forcing, you're not pushing, you're only allowing it to expand. And it brings neuropathways, connections between your genitals and your brain. It um, brings blood flow. It can do so much. Most of us walk around completely unaware of our genitals. A.H. Almas, who's a spiritual teacher, um, he has several books out, but he talks about the genital hole, which is, you know, most people, even top level athletes and embodiment practitioners, if you ask them to describe their bodies, they'll completely skip over their genitals. And it's not, it's hugely problematic because we're completely unaware of them. And then when we go in to connect with them, we're expecting something specific from them, but we're, we're not, we're not actually in a relationship with them in any ongoing way. And so then we're missing possible experiences. We're missing information. Um, just a, a, a whole bunch of things can spiral from there. And so doing this practice to breathe and bring your attention there can, can shift and fill in that genital hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a great, I, I will go, I will speak. It's a great practice. I recommend it to everybody. Um, and I know that we've got a variety of contact information for you. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any programs you're leading coming up? For, for any listeners that are like, oh, this is speaking to me and I can feel the ding in my body. Yeah. That this work is a yes. Yeah. So <laughs> this isn't on my, on my website. It's not anywhere yet. It's just in my mind <laughs> and in some notebooks, but um, <laughs> I'm going to be doing something, I think probably in June that I'm tentatively calling uh, impulse lab something like that, which is going to be a combination of embodiment practices, writing. Um, it'll be a community online, online thing. So if you go to my website and sign up for my email list, you'll get information when that is to be coming out. Um, but then I teach with two other women in a program we call the Verdant Collective. Um, and that we have so much stuff happening all the time, it seems like. And it's really your immersion is only in person. Yes. Well, we have, so we have an online program starting in May. It's the month of May. It's called Reclaiming Erotic Pleasure. And it's based a lot. I mean, everything that I've spoken about today, um, it's really a foundational course around that. Um, Also relying on the late great Audre Lorde and her essay, Uses of the Erotic as inspiration for that course. So that's coming in May, we have three free webinars that we'll be uh, doing in April as a part of that. And then we have a couple of camping immersions here in Colorado this summer, one on ceremony, one on um, body image, roughly taking our bodies back. And then we have an immersion, which is our four month amazing. We're in the middle of it now. We haven't gotten to do it since 2020 because of COVID and we're in the middle, we're halfway through this four month program that we do with 12 women at a time. So it's really small and it's so fucking incredible. It's, I just have tears running down my cheeks the entire time because it's so amazing. And we're doing all of these practices that I 
part of me still can't believe that we do. And it's just amazing. So all of that is happening. I mean, that's the whole next year. So there's lots of opportunities. Lots of opportunities. I love it. Well, any last pieces from either of you before we, before we sign off? All right. Well, we want to thank you all for sticking with us today. Thank you, Alyssa, for the great Mm. conversation. You are a delight (laughs) and, and it's just so nourishing to get Mm. to connect with you and chat with you. So thank you for bringing all that you are. You're so welcome. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed. And if you did, please share us with your friends. You can also head over to our YouTube channel where you can leave us some comments. Let us know what you thought. We would love to hear from you.